Hey, welcome to Great Oaks. So glad you're here. Uh, my name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks, and it's my honor and privilege to preach to you, to unpack the word, to study God's word with you. And uh, this is a great place to be on a Sunday morning. I'm glad that you uh, think so as well. If you have your Bible, you can head over to Matthew chapter 6. That's where uh, we'll be going today. Um, And uh, we are in a series on the Sermon on the Mount that we've just called Red Letters. uh, Because if you look in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 in your Bible, it's just a sea of red probably. uh, And that denotes Jesus speaking. And so this is the longest uninterrupted collection of the sayings of Jesus in all of the Bible. And so we have been in this series on what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Just to give you the context so that we're all on the same page, Jesus has been preaching for a while. He's been doing miracles. Matthew 4, 17 says that he came and started to preach, repent or change direction for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so he's preaching this message for a while and he started to get some followers in addition to the 12 disciples. And so he goes, he takes everybody kind of out to this mountain, this mount, and he gets up on top of it or up a little bit. And he begins to teach them. And these are people, it's basically a family meeting. It's basically a team meeting. He's going, okay, you've said you want to follow me. You've said you want to be in my family. Now this is what that actually means. And so the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, here's what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. Here's what it looks like to be one of my family. And we've said that uh, the theme verse of this really is just that first part of Matthew 6, verse 8, which is just do not be like them. And so Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount is taking topic after topic after topic, issue after issue after issue, and he's going, don't be like them. Don't be like the world. Don't be like the Gentiles. He goes, when it comes to lust, don't be like them. When it comes to divorce, don't be like them. When it comes to anger, don't be like them. When it comes to your words, when it comes to revenge, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to fasting, when it comes to all these things, do not be like them. We're different, Jesus is saying, in the Sermon on the Mount. So that's what this is all about. So you've got this family meeting going on where Jesus is laying out these standards for those who would follow him for real. And in our Red Letters series, we're just taking six of these. So not the whole Sermon on the Mount. We're taking six of these kind of topics, these things that Jesus talks about, and we're studying them together. And so we're in week four today. We've looked at anger, lust, and then last week we talked on divorce. These are difficult topics to deal with, but I want you to hear me say this. At Great Oaks... We don't decide what we're going to preach on or not preach on based on how difficult it is. We don't decide what we're going to preach on or what we're not going to preach on based on how well you'll receive it. We don't decide what we're going to preach on or not going to preach on based on whether you'll like it or not. That's just not what we do at Great Oaks. My goal in preaching is very simple. It's to teach the eternal word of God in a way that you can understand it, apply it, and pass it on. That's my goal in preaching, to preach the eternal word of God in a way that you can understand it, apply it, 
and pass it on. If you do one of those three and not the other two, you've got some problems, right? So you've got to do all three of those. Understand it, apply it, and pass it on. That's it. And in this series particularly, we are talking about the words of Jesus. We're studying Jesus' words themselves and saying, what is Jesus talking to us about? So the goal of each sermon in this series is not to answer all the questions on the topic that we're studying. It's not to hit it from all the angles. The goal in these messages, each of these messages in the Red Letter series, is simply to study what Jesus said about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Just to study what Jesus said. What Jesus said about this. And then try to understand it, apply it, and pass it on. Okay? You with me so far? So that means that you may be uncomfortable sometimes at Great Oaks and in this series. You may get your feathers ruffled. You may not leave here thinking you're super awesome and you don't need to change, right? You, you may not leave here thinking that, but hear that. It, hear me, if you, if you feel that way now, you would have felt that way then at the Sermon on the Mount. Were you listening to Jesus? Because we're just studying the words of Jesus, what he said that day. So if you get mad, direct your emails to Jesus. It's, I mean, he started it, right? He started it. So you can, you can send them to Jesus. And listen, it, it is not loving to preach only what encourages and never what convicts. It is not loving for a man in my position to continually say, you're doing great, keep going, when the scriptures very obviously reveal a pit ahead. It is not loving of me to do that, or a man in my position to do that. We want both encouragement and conviction, right? It's not loving of a father to shirk his responsibility to, to warn his kids of the dangers of running next to the pool or running in, out in traffic, playing in the street, just because he doesn't want to hurt their feelings in telling them that, right? It is not good to do that. It's not right or correct or God-honoring for a man in a position like mine to avoid difficult topics that Jesus was happy to address, it's not loving, it's not God-honoring, it's not correct to, to choose what is easy so that I don't get a nasty email or people like me more or I get more shares on Facebook or any host of or people leave my church because of the truth. It's not loving of me, God-honoring or correct to do that. And here's another thing, it, it, it also just doesn't work. It doesn't work because the message is the message. The gospel is the gospel. The truth is the truth no matter how you slice it. And so not everyone accepts it, but I'm not going to change it because of that, right? You with me? Okay, three of you are with me. The rest of you, um, I'm still not going to change it. <laughs> so, and I've got the face mic, so I win that battle, okay? Okay. Um, but it's good to hear that those three of you are with me. 
So anger, lust, divorce, these are hard topics, difficult topics uh, we've talked about. Next week we're going to talk about anxiety, worry, stress. And I just want to kind of foreshadow that a little bit to say you should come back next week. And I believe God is going to speak to many of us uh, about that because we live in such a stressed out, freaked out world. So I want to talk to you about that next week. Hard topics that Jesus is tackling in the Sermon on the Mount. And today's is no different. Today Jesus is going to talk about your money. He's going to talk about your money. He actually talks about it twice in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about your money twice. And I've said this before, but here's the thing. If you don't like to talk about money in church, then you wouldn't have made it in Jesus' church. Because Jesus talked about money all the time. One out of ten verses in the Gospels is about money and possessions. Half, over half of the parables of Jesus are about money and possessions. The Bible has 500 verses on prayer. Just less than 500 verses on faith. And 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's crazy. It's almost like God thinks you have a problem with money. I mean, I don't know. It's almost like God thinks you and I may have a problem with money. And let me just clear something up right at the beginning of this message. Jesus wants your money. (laughs) He does. He wants your money. I'm not scared to say this either. The church wants your money. You didn't laugh at that. (laughs) But the church absolutely wants your money. I mean, think about it. Why wouldn't we? Like, wouldn't it be weird if we didn't want your money? Like, we must not really, if we didn't want your money, we wouldn't really believe in all that God is doing in and through us to to take the love and truth of Jesus Christ to the world. We wouldn't really believe I mean, But if we believe in what God has called us to do, not just Big C Church worldwide, but Great Oaks specifically, if we believe in that and we think we're doing what God wants us to do, why wouldn't, I mean, we would be unabashed and unashamed in asking you to give us as much money as you possibly can. So that we can further the kingdom of God. So that we can do ministry. I mean, what do you think we do with your money? We don't hoard it. I'm not talking about we want your money to give everybody a raise. I'm not talking about we want your money so I can get that, finally get that company Ferrari I've been asking the leadership team for, for (laughs) the last two years or whatever. No, that's not, what do you think we do with your money? We just put it to ministry. We just try to reach people for Jesus. That's what we're doing with the money that comes in. Southside Mission, the director of Southside Mission in Peoria was in my office just a couple of weeks ago. Just drove out here to say thank you for our consistent support at a high level on a monthly basis to Southside Mission. That's where your money goes. Your money goes to support Southside Mission and other ministries like Dream Center Peoria and Snack Pack and Reclaimed Resale and and all of these others, Kids Alive Peru. And Combo with Hope, who, who right now is serving everybody affected by Hurricane Florence. In fact, to this, when I looked at it this last week, to date, they've served 65,000 people, over 1.2 million pounds of food and supplies needed during their crisis. That's convoy of hope that we support, that you support. This is where your money goes, especially as it goes through kingdom builders. But outside of that, we use money given to reach and teach middle school and high school students on a weekly basis. We use the donations given 
to make our kids' ministry awesome and our Sunday mornings awesome so that we can reach families like yours with the truth, grace, and love of Jesus Christ. We use this money to help families who come through our doors, come into our doors in in financial crisis, who need help. We use this money to multiply, to go to other places and reach people with the gospel. We're going to multiply as we launch a campus in Washington so that we can reach our neighbors there with the gospel of Jesus. So yeah, Jesus wants your money. And the church wants your money too. It's not all we want. It's not even the first thing we want. So don't hear what I'm not saying. We don't want you to be, we don't want you to feel guilty. We don't want you to feel coerced. We want you to feel convicted, inspired, led, encouraged to use your money for the kingdom of God because we know it's the best investment you could possibly make, the only one that is eternal. <laughs> Have you ever been to a church where they started the sermon with, we want your money? <laughs> yeah. Me. <laughs> Nailed it. I've never been to a church like that either, so we'll see what happens, okay? We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Two times, Matthew chapter 6, two times uh, Jesus talks about money in the Sermon on the Mount. Two separate passages. We'll read them, we'll chat about them uh, for a second, and then we'll kind of talk about I'm going to give you two key principles at the end of this to chew on and talk with your family about, talk with your life group about this week. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1, says this. Beware, red letters, Jesus speaking, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have, your, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Let's stop there for a second. Jesus goes, don't practice your righteousness before men. Because you'll get your reward here instead of in heaven. So we're left thinking, what is this righteousness that Jesus is talking about practicing, right? If you just stopped there, we go, okay, righteousness, what does that really mean? So he doesn't leave us hanging. Verse 2, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, so Jesus says, don't practice your righteousness before other men in order to be seen by them. If you do that, you won't get a reward in heaven. You'll get your reward on earth. And what's the righteousness, the act of righteousness that he's talking about? Don't be scared. Giving, right? Giving. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus ties together very clearly giving to the needy, giving to the poor, and righteousness. Jesus is saying it is righteous to give to the needy. It's a righteous thing when you do that. To give to the needy is righteousness. And also, he didn't say if you give to the needy, did he? No, he said when you give to the needy. When you give to the needy. Don't do it that way. Do it this way. When you, so Jesus assumes that you're giving to the needy. So here's the first takeaway from this passage. Jesus expects his followers to give to those in need. He expects it. 
He's going, hey, if you're going to be a part of this family, a part of my family, one of my true followers, then it's going to be automatic. It's just assumed you're going to be giving to those who have the greatest need. This is what you'll be doing. Not if, but when. So the question that comes to mind here is, is, are you? Jesus expects us to give to those in need. So, So are you? Are you giving to those in need? Because you shouldn't even worry about the rest of these four verses that we just read until you start to give to those in need. Because the rest of the verses are about the how. So the first question you need to ask is, am I even doing this? And figure out why or why not. Why am I not giving to those in need as Jesus expects me to, to do? And then you can look at the how later. I mean, you and I are unbelievably blessed, aren't we? I mean, on a global scale. Absolutely. Even on a national scale, we are unbelievably blessed financially, materially. We are blessed. So why aren't we giving to those in need? Once you figure that out, then you can look at the how in these verses we just read. We'll come back to them. Look at the other part about money in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Skip down to verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's stop there for a second. If you've been in church long, you've probably heard this verse before, right? Um, The most famous is that verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But a lot of people have kind of misunderstood this verse. Listen closely. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, people take this verse to mean that your money follows your heart. Your money follows your heart. But that's not what Jesus just said. You see, they think it means like whatever you love in your heart, whatever you're all about, whatever you're passionate about, then your money will, will follow that. And there may be some, true, some truth to that statement, but Jesus actually said the opposite. He said, it's not that your money follows your heart. It's that your heart follows your money. Your heart follows your money. Think about that a second and see if it rings true. Are there things in your life that that you're passionate about? Are there things in your life that you would say, this is my cause, this is what I'm all about? Are there things in your life that, that you know are just bigger than you, much bigger than you? Like when you think about the plight of the world, people who don't know Jesus dying apart from him, is your heart moved towards that? Is your heart stirred towards that? Now, how connected is your wallet to those things? How connected is your money to those things that you're moved by? How, how connected is it really? Like how, how many or how much do you sacrifice for those things in comparison to other line items in your budget? I think most of us would have to confess that there are some things that our heart goes after that our wallet does not, right? There are some things that we would say, this is true, this is, oh, we're moved by this, this is big, this is everything. And we look at our budget and like, but our money's not following that. Our wallet is not following our heart. But if 
our money always follows our heart, that wouldn't be the case, right? We wouldn't have to worry about it. If our heart goes there, then our money would go there. But that's just not the truth. Your money always follows, or your heart always follows your money. Jesus is saying this, if you want your heart to truly run after something, put your money there. Whatever you sacrifice for, that is what your heart will eventually follow. So think about it from that angle and see if it rings true. Have you ever, have you ever started investing in something new, like a new stock or something like that? Did you look at that stock after you put money into it? Like a million times, right? Like you looked at it all the time. Of course you did. You put your money there, right? Have you ever, like, done an addition on your house? What happened after that or during that process? Your heart went there, right? Because your money was there. You were consumed with that for a little bit. Couldn't sleep thinking about all the details that were going on, right? Because your heart was there because your money went there too. Have you ever given to a, a, a charity, and then after you give to the charity, all of a sudden you care a lot about how that charity is spending that money, right? You care a lot about what that charity is doing. You're much more connected because you've given your money to it. I see it all the time happen with tithing, giving 10% of your income to God through the church. When people begin to tithe, their testimony is almost always, my heart began to move in a different direction, began to follow more after the things of God because I put my money there, because I sacrificed towards that. Your heart follows your money. If you want your heart to go in a certain direction, then you need to put your money there. You need to put your treasure there, Jesus says. The implication of that is this. If you want to know where your heart truly is, not where you feel it is or hope it is or want it to be, you just have to look at where your money is going because that's where your heart will inevitably end up. Look at verse 22, the next verse in this second passage on money in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and serve and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus goes, you can't do both. You can't have it both ways. You can't be divided. If you're going to be mine, if you're going to be in my family, then you're going to be different. Don't be like them, Jesus is saying. Trying to place your money in one place and focus your life in a different place is like trying to look in two opposite directions at the same time. It's not going to work, and you'll end up going blind and having to walk in darkness. Jesus is going, that doesn't work. You can't serve both God and money. You'll go blind. You'll lose your way. You'll end up hating one and loving the other. In the same way, you can't serve God and money. It didn't say you can't have money, right? It didn't say you can't have it. It said you can't serve it. You can't serve money. So in this series, this red letter series, so far over the last three weeks, we've taken on sins, right? 
We've taken on anger. We've taken on lust. We've talked about the sin of divorce. We have talked through sins. But this week we're talking about money. Money in itself is not a sin. Money becomes a sin or a problem when you serve it. You tracking with me? So just because you're making money doesn't mean you're in the wrong. Hear what I'm saying? I want God to bless you. Okay? We need to accept the blessings of God. Monetary, financial, material blessings of God. And give him thanks and praise for those things. Did you hear me? That can come from God, right? So that's not a sin. It's when you serve it that it's a sin. And you serve money by not using it to serve God. You serve money by not using it to serve God. Tracking with me? Jesus is going, you can't do both. You have to choose. If you're going to be in my family, you'll have to choose. Don't be like them. Don't be like the world. They serve money and think it's okay. They serve money and think they can somehow also serve God. It's not true. It's impossible. Jesus is going, my family will not just say they serve me and then keep doing whatever everyone else is doing, running after what everyone else is running after. My family, he says, will have eyes that are illuminated by my light, focused on something different, looking in a different direction, running after me, running after Jesus alone. So Jesus is talking to us in the Sermon on the Mount about our money about our tendency to serve our money, to hoard our money, to hold on to our money. Twice in the Sermon on the Mount. And you might think these two passages are kind of disconnected, but I want to give you two key principles that I think each of these passages kind of help us understand. Here's the first one. Money in heaven is better than money on earth. Money in heaven is better than money on earth. In the first passage, Jesus says not to give to the needy in order to be seen by other people. Why? Verse 1, because then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. If you do it that way, you won't get money in heaven. You won't get reward in heaven. And then he, in that first passage at the beginning of chapter 6, he describes this like crazy scene that's going on. Like, don't miss this scene that he describes. Like this whole trumpet thing, right? Like there is a, some people, there are some people who are blowing a trumpet before they give to the poor. I mean, it must have freaked the poor out, right? I mean, it's like I got my offering, hit it, honey. Do, 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 and the four are like, what is going on? Like The poor, they're like, who is that guy walking now? Why is he coming close to me and why is he blowing a trumpet? Oh, he's got some money. Okay, I'll take it. But that was weird, Right? That was weird. I mean, this is weird scene going on where people are drawing attention in very loud and obnoxious ways to what they are giving. And what does Jesus say about these guys? Verse 2, he says, they have received their reward. He's going, they've got their reward here. They will not get a reward in heaven for the money they are giving to the poor because they have opted to receive their reward right here on earth. They'll get it on earth in this life. And Jesus' point is that that's not a good trade. 
That's not a good investment decision. He's going, no. Instead of doing that, do it in secret. He's not saying that you can't tell anybody that you're doing it. He's saying be opposite. Do, do the opposite of blowing a trumpet, right? Like give in such a way that your motive is not to be seen by people, but to be seen by God. Why? Verse 4, because your father who sees in secret will what? Reward you. He will reward you. Money in heaven is better than money on earth. It's a raw deal. If you opt to, to receive your reward in full here on earth rather than in heaven. Jesus goes, don't do it. Because if you receive your reward on earth, it's not going to last, right? The next passage, the second passage we looked at, verse 19. He says it's not going to last. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Over and over again, Jesus is going, it's a raw deal. Trust me. Money is better in heaven than it is on earth. It's way better. You should be going after reward in heaven. That's what you should be running after, not reward on earth. All this on earth, Jesus goes, it's, it's, it's nothing in comparison. It's just nothing. It'll pass away. It'll rust. It'll get taken. The moss will come in and eat it. I mean, it's nothing. But in heaven, that's different. That's eternal. No moths or mosquitoes, probably. No rust. No thieves. That's a better investment, right? That's forever. Do, do you hear Jesus' heart? Do you hear Jesus' heart in this? It's like, it's like he's a father talking to a kid who just doesn't get it. He just doesn't have the perspective. He just doesn't have the vision. She, she just can't see far enough ahead to understand what he's saying. He's going, this is better. I want something better for you. It's so much better if you would sow into the kingdom of heaven than sow into the kingdom of earth. Trust me, you can't see it right now. All you see is you. All you see is this life. I'm telling you there's something bigger going on. Something better that I want you to be involved in, Jesus is saying. It's like he's trying to explain to somebody who's lived their whole life in the bush of Africa what a dryer is. Or what snow is. It's like he's trying to explain to a blind man what the color blue is like. I mean, we are so limited in our perspective and he is so limitless in his. We are blind and he doesn't just see, he is sight. We are deaf and he doesn't just hear, he is sound. We are confined and imprisoned, and he isn't just free. He is freedom. Do you hear what he's saying? The, the, the perspective, we just don't have it. And he's going, I, I've got a different way to look at this. Money in heaven is so much better than money on earth. He's going, We're spending, you're spending your lives on nothing. In comparison, it is nothing. 
in the end, the houses, the cars, the, the money, the additions, the pools, the, the trinkets, the gadgets, the toys, it's all nothing. It's a rusted, moth-eaten pile of dust, Jesus says. He goes, you're giving your life for trash on earth when I want to give you treasure in heaven. And I don't think, I don't think Jesus is mad. I don't think he's angry. I think he's heartbroken. For us, for you, for me. Because we're so confused, so blind, so off base. So it's like a father to a kid just trying to explain this. No, 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 no. I've got something better for you. I've got something better for you. Money in heaven is so much better than money on earth. Here's the second principle. Jesus wants your money because he wants your heart. Jesus wants your money because he wants your heart. I said earlier, he absolutely wants your money. Over 2,000 verses in the Bible on money and possessions. Jesus talks about it a lot in the Gospels. He absolutely wants your money, but it's because he wants your heart, right? This is about your heart first and foremost. So in other words, this isn't just about your money. It's about your heart. Jesus talks about these hypocrites that are, that are blowing trumpets, right, before they give. And then why are they doing that? It says they're doing that in verse 2 of chapter 6, to be praised by others, in other words, their heart is off. Their motive is off. They're, they're messed up in, in the why. This is about them being praised, not about God being praised. And then verse 21, back to that. We mentioned it earlier. He goes, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he's going, your treasure, your heart follows after your treasure. He's going, I want your treasure because I know that's where your heart is going to be. I want to get your heart. And if I could get your heart then I could really fix some things. Then I could really glorify my Father who is in heaven. Then I could really make a difference. If I could just get your heart, then that'd change everything. And then he says at the end, you cannot serve both God and money. What's he saying? He goes, this is deeper than just money. I'm not just talking about your money. I'm talking about your heart, your motives, who you really are on the inside. I want your money because I want your heart. And I know if you serve money, I'll never get your heart. And so I've got to talk to you about money so that I can get your heart. Here and in other red letters in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, some of you have this public display of affection towards God that is nowhere in your heart. It's not there. You're acting like you love God on the outside, but your heart is far from him. You're doing these things that look good on the outside. Going to life group, raising your hands in worship, giving some money maybe to some people who need it. Sharing the Jesus post on Facebook. That's our culture. And theirs it would have been going to the temple, giving alms to the poor, doing things like that, saying the right prayers. Jesus is going, you're doing these things, but your heart doesn't love me. And that's a problem. You're doing them for you, for status, to make yourself feel better, better to, 
to check it off of a list. You're doing it so that you can teach your kids that this is a good thing to do. You're doing it for you, not me, Jesus says. You're doing it for you, not God. You're doing it for earth, not heaven. You're wearing this mask. Your heart is hidden behind this mask that you wear for everyone around you. Jesus is going, I'm not fooled by it. I'm not fooled by this mask. Jesus, Jesus wants your heart. He keeps going back to this idea that outward action, absent of inward transformation, is unacceptable before God. It is unacceptable. You can't do one thing on the outside, believe, think, feel something different on the inside, and call it good. He's going, that doesn't work if you're going to be in my family. It reminds me of Isaiah 29, where God tells Isaiah, tell my people this, that they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The things that they do on the outside, they do not because they love me, not because they want me. They do it because they've been trained to do it. And God goes, I am tired of it. In Isaiah 29, he goes, keep your songs. Keep your sacrifices. Keep your festivals. You have made me, God, tired of you. So what makes God tired? What causes sadness in the heart of God? Injustice? Murder? Dishonesty? I think those things definitely call, cause hurt in the heart of God, but you have got some serious exhaustion and sadness in the heart of God in Isaiah 29 over people who would, with outward expression, say that they love God, but inwardly they have no heart for him whatsoever. It tires God. Jesus, Jesus wants your money, sure, but it's because he wants your heart. He wants all of you, not just the stuff that you, that, that you show everybody else, not just the mass, not just the, what you do for your own benefit or for the benefit of those here on earth, the benefit of those watching you. He wants you to give to the poor because you love him and you love the poor. He wants you to give to the church because you love him and you love the church. He wants you to sacrifice for the kingdom of God because he knows that as you do that, your heart will follow after the kingdom of God. And he wants your heart. He knows that the focus will begin to shift if you sacrifice for him. From you to him. From you to God. From earth to heaven. How do you do this though, right? How do we go about making sure this happens? How do we ensure that your heart is not divided, that my heart is not divided, that I'm not somehow trying to serve both God and money in my life and ending up blind? How do I make sure that I'm not wearing this mask and I'm doing these things for the, for the right reasons? I didn't leave a lot of time today for the how, so talk to your family, talk to your life group about it this week. Figure out how you can actually do this. And then I want to also recommend, if you, didn't, if you weren't here back in May, that you go back and you listen to the Open Hands series that Pastor Chris and I preached. Uh, we gave very practical things that you can do in order to make sure that your heart follows after God rather than after 
your money. But I will say two things very quickly on the application side. First of all um, is this. To find out where your heart is, just look at where your money is going. So just if you're not sure where your heart is, just look at where your money is going, and your heart will end up there eventually. The second thing is that I think if we're going to do this, if we're going to really lay up treasures in heaven, if we're going to be generous and our hearts are going to be following after God as we are generous, if we're going to do this, I think we, need to ha- I think we have to be very, very intentional. In other words, I don't think this kind of a life, laying up treasures in heaven, choosing heaven over earth, choosing helping people over ourselves, I don't think that that happens by itself. I don't think it happens on accident. I don't think you wake up one day and you're like, I'm nailing this. I'm so good at laying up treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven, baby. No, I don't think you do that. I think there's like this intentional walk that you have to go through, this journey where you have to like budget this thing out and you have to be intentional about what your mindset is and how you think and you have to be intentional about being generous to others and tithing and all of these things that the Bible kind of lays out. You have to be intentional. So if you want to know where your heart is, look where your money's going. And I think you got to be really intentional. I know that some of you don't like when I talk about money in church. Um, but that's just because you love your money too much. And it wouldn't be loving of me to not talk about what Jesus so often talked about. Any more than it would be loving of a father to not tell his kids the dangers of running next to the pool or playing in the street when they go outside. And don't forget, if you want to send an email, send it to Jesus. (laughs) He started it, right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your mercy on our lives. Thank you for all that you do for us and in us and through us and for your word that just is so, so convicting and encouraging at the same time that, that you want us to use our money for you, not just for the money side of thing, but because you love us, because your heart hurts for us as we choose this life over the next, as we choose earth over heaven, as we choose ourselves over helping those in need. And so I I just thank you for your heart, Jesus, that you are so patient with us and so loving, trying to help us get the perspective that we need to make the decisions that you want us to make. I pray, Jesus, for those in this room talking about heart and giving our heart over to you and our lives over to you. I pray for those in this room who have never really done that. And they look around, money is just one thing. Many other things in their lives are not right. They're not lining up with what you say in your scriptures. And it's because their heart has yet to be given over to you. Their life has yet to be given over to you completely. So with our eyes closed and our heads bowed here just as we continue in an attitude of prayer just for a moment I just want to give you a chance, a stop, a beat to make a decision for Christ. If you're in this room and you have yet to give your life over to Jesus I hope you you heard in this message and in Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6 that he wants your heart, that he wants 
you, that he has something better for you out there. And as we talked through that, as we talked through this idea of giving our lives for trash on earth as Jesus wants us to have treasure in heaven, you looked at your life, you thought about your life, and you're going, yeah, I'm I'm running after some things that just don't matter. And it's devastating. It's like a road trip that never ends. I'm just going and going and going and never getting there. And you felt that in your heart, in your spirit. Yeah, that's, you know, money in other places. But yeah, that's, that's me. I, I'm running after nothing. Stuff that's just rusted, moth-eaten pile of dust. But I want to be running after something eternal, something bigger than me. If that's you, I just want to give you a moment just to make a decision for Christ right now, to leave here different than you came in, to ask God. So just in your own words, just in your heart, in your mind, maybe even out loud, just just begin to ask God, God, help me, save me, change me. God, I want to give you my life. I haven't been living for you, but from this day forward, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help me live for you, that you would give me that strength, that you would transform me. Just say that in your own words. Don't leave here without making that decision. Jesus, I pray for those in this room who are in that place. I pray, God, that you would give them the boldness to step out and to believe you, to walk beside you, to give their lives over to you completely. And I pray, God, that you would help us, those who already know you, who are already following after you, and yet... Like Martin Luther said, oftentimes the last thing to be converted is our wallet. And so I pray for those of us who are holding on to the things of this world. Let us release our grip on that and instead reach up to heaven and grab on to what you have for us there. We love you, Jesus. We give all this to you and we glorify your name today because you are such an amazing God. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to have some prayer workers at the side. We'd love for you to stay and sing one last song of worship to our God. If you need prayer, make sure you go to the side. But here's my prayer for us today. May God transform us more and more into a people who love to give, who love to open our hands, who love to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. And may we put our treasure where we want our hearts to end up and in every way may we live not for earth but for heaven not for this life but for the next thank you so much for coming today make sure you don't let this stop with you that's my encouragement go to a life group talk this over if you're not in a life group stop at Connection Central we'll get you plugged in But don't let this stop with you. Just like today, you've been helped to take your next step towards God. Go out and help others take their next steps towards God. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. God bless. We'll see you next week for week five in our Red Letter series.